0: Hi, I'm Tony Fair, founder of Victorian Grooming Company. Is your beard feeling dry or the skin underneath itchy? Maybe you'd rather soften and tame your beard instead. Our classic collection of beard oils, balms, and soaps will leave your beard looking, feeling, and smelling amazing. And if you prefer shaving, our pre-shave oils and shave soaps will give you a smooth and razor burn free shave. Handmade in Edmonton with natural ingredients, visit victoriangrooming.com.
1: Swati Hello, this is Granto, the Pearl's Papa G. Welcome to Tell Craig Your Story podcast. Thanks for listening. Yeah.
0: Hi guys, Craig here. Welcome to another edition of the podcast, Tell Craig Your Story. This is part two of my conversation with Grant O on Tell Craig Your Story podcast. How does this fit into then deciding to move to Japan?
1: Uh, well, in, yeah, I went to school to get a, a bachelor of commerce degree. Right. So I majored in international business and marketing. And when I was at the U of A in Edmonton, I was part of an international student business organization called ISEC. Right. And ISEC's amazing. Oh, they, you know, I know ISEC? This one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, over 400, or no, it was over 500 universities at that time, 50 some countries involved. And yeah, what they do is they offer international traineeships. Yes. Yes, And you can do a summer job or when you graduate, you can do a one year thing or whatever. So I got heavily involved with that and into the National Congress of ISAC. And again, I really wanted to change who I was and get involved in anything I could get involved in. Mm -hmm. And through them, you go through a whole process and you apply and whatnot, and you have to list three countries. And in fact, I I wrote Japan, Australia, Japan. Because I just, uh, for me, being Canadian, I love being Canadian. I'm proud of being Canadian, what Canada stands for. But I also felt at that time, I felt a lack of history.
0: Right.
1: You know, we're a young nation. Who are we? What are we? That's true. You know, one of the biggest identity factors is we're not an American. <laughs> you know, we're not we're not USA. We're Canadian. We are different. Yes. We have a very strong British influence in our education, in our spelling. That's right. In <laughs> our entertainment, in our humor. Color. <laughs> yes, very much so. So for me, I actually really wanted to get to like Japan was always a fascination for me. Yes. And I really want to be a part of that, that culture and experience it. So I was lucky enough to get selected by IBM to go there on a one year traineeship. And it was such an incredible experience because it was me and 25 other ISEC students all working together at IBM Asia Pacific headquarters in Tokyo. Wow. And so I have all these people from all over the world, yeah. and we're all together. And so we're all working for different departments, this and that. And of course, we all get together and party our asses <laughs> off every night because we're 22 <laughs> years old in a new nation. What else did you do? <laughs> and it was friggin' brilliant. It was
0: oh, it was so much fun. So we did just you were in Tokyo, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, and and what it was really lucky was uh, I started at IBM on my second day in Tokyo. And at my welcoming lunch, I met my future wife, King, from Thailand. Wow. And then we were at a sushi restaurant, and she came walking in. I still remember exactly what she was wearing, exactly how she looked. And I just went, this is the most exotic woman I've ever seen in my life. It's amazing. But yeah, and then luckily we were friends, and we worked together for a long time. And then luckily, um, just before she was to go back to Thailand, there was 13 of us, me and another Canadian, organized a ski trip. For all these Asians who'd never seen snow before, <laughs> and like my best friend at the time, my, um, he was Indian, uh, George. He'd never seen snow in his life. He'd always dreamed of snow, wow. and we had these guys from Singapore, Malaysia, Philippines, Thailand, and whatnot. And we were, we drove up to Nagano, and the first stop we could, we had to stop, pull over the road, so George there he could get out and taste snow. <laughs> he had to just go face first in the snow. <laughs> 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 but anyways, it was thanks to that ski trip where finally a Canadian in his element skiing in the snow and everything else. Finally, that and my Indian roommate and a bottle of rum and rye, which I still keep here at the home rye. as a treasured item. Rye. That gave me up with enough courage to kind of approach, approach my future wife after eight months of <laughs> being in love. And so, yeah, so we've been together now 30 years. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. So thank you. Thank you, Isaac. Thank, yes, you, yes, thank you, George. And <laughs> and not? So anyways, uh, after the one-year traineeship with IBM, they offered me a full-time job. Um, I had an amazing director, Kate Fickle, who was one of the biggest influences in my life. And also really, I think she changed my attitude and that, and that uh, the power of women. And also sometimes how they're not regarded well. Because she was always considered the iron lady or the bitch or the dragon lady. And I worked with her and she was amazing. She worked harder than anybody else to get where she was. And she also respected, actually, she respected me more than all the other male bosses I had later. Like, she expected me in a work capability. All the male bosses I had, after that point, wanted me my buddy. Yeah. Wanted me my friend. And I'm like, screw you, challenge me. Yeah. I'm young. I want to learn. I want to fight. I want to do stuff. So I think she instilled a lot in that. But to this day, I'm all about woman empowerment and trying to help things and whatnot, which is also probably why I ended up with a strong wife who has a real job. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. She's I'm just an expat spouse. (laughs) (laughs) So I continued with IBM for about four years. And at that time with IBM, they were going through a huge shakeup there. Lou Akers, who'd been the CEO for a long time, was ousted, and a uh, Wall Street guy came in. And the whole dynamic of IBM was changing. And, I mean, we are over in Tokyo, and these American directors who had been with the company 30 years are all worried about the future and about their jobs and this and that. And I'm like, oh, my God. And they're coming to me whining and complaining and worried. I'm like a 24 or 5-year-old at the time. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, and I'm like, Jesus, I don't want to be like this. Yeah. I don't want to work for a big company and, you know, because you can almost feel like the times are changing, that maybe lifetime careers with companies aren't the way to go anymore. Right. And that's when it came back to my obsession with music and entertainment and everything else. Right. And I'd already been always, all my time off was going to live houses in Japan. And seeing bands and seeing artists and going to every show that came to, to Japan, luckily with IBM too, American artists, we all got preferential treatment and ticketing. We could get it through IBM, through oh, the American wow. embassy or whatever. So yeah, we went to Madonna and Prince and Michael Jackson and wow. you know all the big bands would come. We always got to be able to go and got good seats.
0: Yeah.
1: So but anyways, I started putting out the word saying I really wanted to get, you know, find a new job because they just offered me a huge job. And it was really good money, really good money, especially for me at my age. But I could really tell if I signed that contract, you know, that's just the direction I'm going to go forever.
0: Yeah.
1: So anyways, I looked around and I had a Canadian friend who said there's a new MTV Asia program starting up and they need an English scriptwriter. So I went in, I met them on a, I think it was on a Friday, um, and talked to them, interviewed them, and talked about, you know, my passion for music, my knowledge of what's going on, my this, that, that. And they, you know, had me do a test thing, and I wrote out something, and then I think it was on Sunday, by that Sunday, they offered me a job, and it was an 80% cut in my salary from IBM to this, (laughs) on a three-month contract, because they didn't know if the show would get renewed. Right. Monday I put in my resignation, and I was out of there within the next week, out of IBM. And I just packed everything up and went straight into that full throttle. And it was, yeah, I was scared as hell, but I loved it. Yeah. My very first day on, they said, oh, we're doing a, an interview with Edge from U2, can you do it? And I'm like, well, blah, blah, blah. what? What? <laughs> I'm like, that, 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 that. Do that. Oh, and luckily, oh. I did, well, unfortunately, luckily, but I, they, in the end, the, the main reporter, was able to do to, 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 to do, do it. it right um she'd been sick and wasn't but then finally she was able to do it because i mean i'm like i can't i can't <laughs> do this i i've never done that before in my life and it was before the internet right so it's not right. like you can just go online and find Research. some information yeah right. you know i'm like jesus how am i gonna get this information about yeah. it? the edge of course i know the guy i love the guy but i don't know about you know New all songs, the details, without yeah. sounding like an idiot, go, man, <laughs> yeah, you're cool. Yeah. <laughs>
0: What's your favorite song? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, wow, what a great experience. So, But it didn't stop there. I mean, uh, I'm so keen to to hear about all these other stories because I've seen pictures of some of my all-time favorite bands and my dad's all-time favorite <laughs> bands so I mean I mean where do you start where do you, you continue doing this and then when did it change where you actually started starting to sort of meet these bands like it's crazy
1: there was a underground bar in Rapunji, not far from where our studio was right. it was called YY Pips it was just, just a shithole little bar <laughs> with kind of a Polynesian theme at one point, but everything was so faded, you couldn't tell. Yeah. They just kind of had bamboo things, and I think there was a, a faded pink flamingo at the entrance, uh, but they had a foosball table and pinball tables and, you know, shit drinks <laughs> that were cheap, but it was the rock and roll bar that everybody had gone to through history. Right. had been there for 17, 19 years or something like that, and so every. Band that Tours all were told, hey, if you when you go to Tokyo, go to this place. Go to this place. And so they'd all go there just out of, that's where the same yeah. place was to go. Even though eventually, years later, across the street, in the, there was the Hard Rock Cafe. So, you know, they'd kind of go in there and go, hey, yeah, whatever. And all end up at YY Pips. Right. So part of it was just socializing. You just end up meeting everything. But then once I'm with MTV, then it became much more of that. And, you know, you're in there and one night you're with Nick Fleetwood, you know, having, you know, talking with him and stuff. Then you've got Hart. Then you've got, you know, the guys from Motley Crue or Green Day or whatever. It's just, it was never ending. But I, I know I told you about one of, actually, I have to do a shout out to Robin Zander from Cheap Trick because he really changed how I thought of things, right. it was just after I'd, I'd been with MTV for you know maybe six months or something, and it was it was actually my birthday party. he wow. was actually at my birthday party, nah. so it was Hall of Notes, or that was a different one, anyway. But, anyways, Robin Zander, like I was talking to him, we're hanging out, we're having drinks. I think we just did some uh shots of uh, uh absinthe because that was the thing then. <laughs> we all did shots of absinthe, I got a lot of weird stories about that one. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways Robin Zander, we're doing shots or whatever and i just all of a sudden i go and he's looking at me and i had a weird look on my face and he's like he goes what's up dude i'm like i just can't believe it. i'm sitting in the bar in tokyo i'm talking to Robin Zander, one of my all-time idols and i mean you were the band always in high school that we're all rocking to whatever and i'm like you know i find it hard talking to you sometimes you know and he just he said let's go outside so he took me outside on the street and we sitting outside on the other on street with a beer in hand and he's like talking to me about how You know that you're part of the music industry you know we need you as much as you need us and he just he lectured me he took time out of his his life to tell me how to work with artists how to deal with artists you know and you don't let anybody intimidate you if an artist intimidate you you just say fuck you (laughs) then you're not putting you on the tv station screw you yeah kind of thing or whatever and he gave me this whole kind of new confidence that from that point forward you know that yeah you're right you know i don't have to be bowing down or whatever we're kind of all in the same industry and if you want my help you know let's talk like people mm-hmm. and that also changed my perspective in also treating them like people yes and i was very fortunate to meet a lot of the older artists that you know were you know we big stars kind of lost it and then came back right because they're much more humble and down to earth yes of course, you know, you meet the Green Day guys and this and that, and they're just on top of their game, <laughs> and they're just totally out of their heads. Yeah. And that was fun, too. Yes. But also by that time when I was hanging out with them, I'd also kind of got to a level of myself. Absolutely. So, you know, they all knew me. By the time they'd, they'd shot, they all knew who I was. Right. And, oh, yeah, the guys from the crew told me to find you. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's go. Because, you know, I, I knew every club and where to go, what to do, you know, where to find what there was to find. <laughs> I mean, you had requests. I knew who to talk to.
0: So speaking of requests, like I, I, I want you to tell us about uh, the Rolling Stones and how I, you know you just mind blowing of the Rolling Stones. Um, time where you, your wife was talking to. Yeah. Uh, tell us about. Tell us about that story.
1: Well, yeah, I got. I was really fortunate because it was actually socializing all the time. Everybody knew me, and I was with MTV. So there was um, a band that was created by. Uh, it's called Nickel Bag, not Nickelback, <laughs> which is from near my hometown in Canada. But that's a different story. But there's Nickel Bag, and that's with um, Steve uh, Steve Salas, uh, who was originally with uh, became famous with Rod Stewart, his main Rod, guitarist. Right. And he later, you got to check it out. He came up with a, a band called Steve Salas and the Color Code, which was really amazing funk rock music. And I just love it to this day. But he teamed up with Bernard Fowler who anytime you've seen Rolling Stones the last 20 years on stage he's this big six-foot-five black <laughs> dude with big curly hair who with a, the voice of an angel right. but this guy is awesome he's just such a cool dude yes. and so anyway these two teamed up with it and created a band called Nickelbag. and they worked together in Tokyo they wanted to shoot a music video so they flew over Chris Hafner who is famous in film school doing all the ozzy osbourne videos right so then he hired me as producer and then we became a unit and we did a music video with them and but luckily because of that then i got exposed to the whole rolling stones family wow you know and though so next thing i know i'm hanging out with bernard who's like hey man and next thing you know then i'm on the tour buses going every night with the stones to the shows and the one night my wife is with me and we're sitting there and then, you know, everybody piles into the bus and this guy sits in front of us and turns around and starts, hey, how you doing, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, this is my girlfriend. Was like, So he starts talking, oh, you're from Thailand and talks to her all about Thailand and how cool Thailand is and this and that and how he likes to visit. And, you know, a really nice conversation between them. I didn't say a word from that point. And everybody, we get to the Tokyo Dome, everyone piles out of the bus. And then my wife turns to me and goes, Wow, he was such a nice guy. That, what, what a nice fellow. Who's that? And I'm like, oh, that's Keith Richards. He's about to go up on stage, man. You know? But he it's another one of those lessons. The last thing a lot of these guys want is somebody, who, oh, my God. Oh, my
0: God. Absolutely. You yeah. know,
1: we're just people.
0: Yeah. And especially when they're rock stars and everybody's doing that every day. They just want someone to speak to you and just talk to you naturally i've also seen like uh pictures here of the ozzy and sharon you know uh, <laughs> right, yeah. and and you organized a birthday
1: no actually no that was i was actually with rolling stones I organized a birthday party for ron wood's wife oh right right just because i was in with a band and they just kind of said hey blah 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 and i said okay so we did a birthday party for ron wood's wife at at the hard rock cafe yeah that was brilliant <laughs> Oh, it was just oh it was so much fun i have to actually i gotta look somewhere i have uh video tapes of that right. because at one point bernard fowler got up and was singing little red rooster just <laughs> walking from table to table to table yes. and we're there with the stones and the whole crew and it was incredible wow it was the only time i actually got close to Mick jagger trying to take a photo he told me to fuck off <laughs> i to take that as an honor. all right I understand. That was the only time I kind of as a groupie kind of guy go, can I get a photo with you? Fuck off! <laughs> okay. think <laughs> mean, Jacob told me to fuck off! Yeah!
0: <laughs> I think that you can take that as a compliment, Really. Right?
1: Who else had that opportunity? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. But no, yeah, the dinner with Ozzy Osbourne, that was a lot of fun. Um, at that time, I used to actually have long hair. <laughs> now, right. I, now I don't have hair. But I had long hair, and i just come back from London, I I'd produced the uh, uh, Primal Scream live from Brighton Beach. Right. Uh, but anyways, so I, I'd been there and I it was at Camden Town and I bought these old uh, uh, spectacles that were like from early 1900s, the round ones with the wire things you wrap around right. your yes, ears. Sir. And I got them customized with uh, like prescription with sunglasses and they were brown tinted. And so I walked into Hard Rock Cafe with this long curly hair, these round glasses tinted you know and i walk into the hard rock cafe and all these japanese kids come running up to me oh, 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 and ask me for an autograph and i'm like jesus christ i'm in my 20s man what the hell and i'm like i'm not Ozzy Osbourne. i'm going to meet Ozzy for dinner and, but, and anyways when i go up to have dinner It is kind of funny because you see in the picture, me and Ozzy look like, you know, my Uncle Ozzy. Yeah. You know, he's got the long hair, same kind of glasses. His were blue tinted, mine were brown tinted. Yes. But uh, anyway, so yeah, the funny thing is, um, so we're having dinner. It was part of a a radio promotion. They were uh, awarding him with an award and whatnot. And anyways, they sent me right across from Ozzy Osbourne who has been my rock god forever. Yes. <laughs> um, and in fact, the problem is growing up in Canada, it, like Ozzy never seemed to perform where I was. Yeah, right. All of his tours always got canceled. And, and also kind of it's a religious area and there's a lot of religious groups, this and that. So I had bought <laughs> three tickets, different tickets to Ozzy shows that all got canceled. Oh, so wow. I never got to see him live. I was really, oh, really pissed off. But anyway, so I'm sitting across from Ozzy Osbourne, and I'm just like shaking, nervous. It was one of those few times you're really starstruck. Because yeah. you're having dinner with Ozzy and his <laughs> wife, Sharon. And you're like, yeah. And so, you know, he goes, I, I, I say, so, hey, hi, Ozzy, nice to meet you, blah, blah. And of course, Ozzy, hi, hey, hi, hey, 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 hey. <laughs> And oh my God. I, I literally thought I was going to shit myself. Because I'm, ta- I'm across the table from someone I look at as a god, and he's talking to me in tongues, and I can't understand what he's saying. <laughs> and thank God that, Lord, that Sharon was sitting next to him. Because Sharon goes, Oh, Grant, Ozzy would like to know, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, Oh! She's and the then I'd reply friend. to him, and then Ozzy back, blah, 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 blah. And I'd look over to Sharon, and then Sharon would tell me, and then I'd reply. And it was it was such a wild experience it was brilliant wow and thank you sharon for being there yeah, thank you sharon she's been the lifesaver for that
0: boy for a, long, <laughs> for a long time uh i hope he's doing all right too i heard he's uh, like cerebral palsy now or something like that um, yeah he
1: guy. had a bit of a fall i actually talked to one of his uh, tour guys uh, just last year and said he was doing much better
0: oh that's good that's good to hear. Yeah, it was
1: actually the, yeah, it was the, it's his official tech guy was here doing a show for um, uh, Secret Cinema 007. Right. They did a the whole thing. And so their tech team from London, he's actually Ozzy's personal tech guy. Oh, so he had right. just been with Ozzy and then flew over and we started talking about old reminiscing. And yeah, right. He was like, oh, I was just with Ozzy. He, I think he cracked an ankle or something, but he's all good. He had a fall and everything oh, that's, seems fine. Yeah.
0: That's, that's good. That's good. And speaking of, of Aussie, um, you know, my dad especially is a huge KISS fan. Oh. Um, and I've taken him to, you know, as I've got older, I've taken him to the KISS shows. And, yeah. you know, I, I've seen pictures there with you and Paul, Paul Stanley. Yeah. So you were backstage one time. Can you tell us about that story?
1: Well, yeah, luckily, through my connections, I actually set it up for us to film uh, KISS live from Budokan. Oh, and yeah it was a huge coup for me to kind of put all that together yeah. so I went there with a the film crew and we did interviews the day before but sadly uh, Gene was sick with the flu so but I did you know I got Paul Stanley and we got to hang out. and later we kind of became not friends but we knew each other so yeah. whenever he'd come to town we'd always hang up hang out we always went to a certain uh, hostess uh, <laughs> whole dance club together we always went there one eye jacks any of you out there you'll know one eye jacks and eventually when i had my own martini bar he'd always come and hang out at the martini right, bar for right. that really super nice guy incredibly nice guy um the sad thing is well i mean i had a lot of fun at the concert of course i'm backstage I'm actually before the show i knew the tech guy so they took me up on stage and i got a hold like uh Gene Simmons' battle axe uh, bass, and his flaming sword. I think I have a photo of me with a flaming sword on stage and got to see all the gear and everything else Uh. before the show, and then we set up the cameras. Sadly, though, um, at the end of the concert, everything got confiscated because Gene Simmons wasn't feeling well and he was spewing kind of fluids everywhere while he was singing, (laughs) which I just thought that's natural. I mean, Gene (laughs) Simmons is always spewing. That's right. But sadly, yeah, those are some of the lost tapes. They went they physically sent out security and went around to every camera and ejected and I'm stole the, stole the tapes. Oh, and there was wow. nothing we could do about it. Wow. Um, yeah, that kinda of sucked.
0: But it'd be priceless. Yeah. Someone's got it. <laughs> yeah. Well that's it. Somewhere I'm waiting
1: for it to be underground yeah. thing. I'm like, wait a minute, I, that yeah, that's give right. me credit for that. I want credit.
0: <laughs> wow. So uh, you said you're talking about the uh, the bar that you had yeah. uh, what, what was the bar that, uh, it's
1: called G Martinis
0: G Martinis, G Martinis, right. Martinis yeah. and and that's where all the the big rock stars would go right uh,
1: uh, later on I mean this was after I'd finished MTV oh, this right. was like 10 years later
0: right
1: okay. this is I mean this is actually after I left MTV I started my own film company so for what, the so Canadians
0: what, so what was the reason why you left MTV <laughs>
1: The uh, big reason was, eh, okay, that's a long story. What had happened was <clears throat> because of my my I'm a business guy, right? And yeah. I look for opportunities. Yeah. What had happened is I went to I decided to go off to some of these different uh, shows to find new programming because the 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 station where I was actually with is called Space Shower TV. It's the number one music video station in Japan, and right. through that we were making all the MTV Asia programs. Right. So that's the thing, we were actually, so I you know, was official MTV, and then later it, be, it evolved into Channel V, because MTV ended in Asia, and then it became Star TV, Channel V. Yes. So I was actually part of that whole tra- transition right. process. So in you know, my cabinet in there, I have my mic cubes from MTV, and I have them from Stan- Channel V too. Right. Well, um,
0: I still think we have a Channel V in Australia still. So, yes, yeah, yeah, Channel V is still going mm. strong. Yeah.
1: So Channel, uh, so Space Shower TV, again, it was the powerhouse in Japan. Right. Because uh, Japanese music, is 70% of the market is Japanese. Mm. Only 30% was foreign. Right. That's you know, it's such a huge market. Mm. And that's also why they contacted us at Space Shower TV, because we dealt with all the Jap- uh, the Japanese artists and the foreign. So the program we were making for MTV Asia was called Music Update Tokyo, and it was all about Japanese underground music, fashion, subculture, everything else, which was great because again that I got to go to every met every Japanese band and these shitty little clubs and <laughs> this and that and whatnot. It was fabulous, but also because of my role as the only foreigner, then that's when I also had you know got to deal with all the artists.
0: Mm.
1: Wow. And so what ended up happening is. You know I started getting involved with more with what was going on and you know teaching myself the ropes and how to do things and I started working my way up and what eventually happened is Space Hour is owned by Itochu, huge company, and the CEO asked me um, to look over some presentations they were gonna to do to I think it was Warner Music at the time no. and so they sent me this uh, PowerPoint presentation I went through it and I said you know can I actually talk about this so I went up and met the CEO and I kind of changed everything mm. and the whole plot, the whole plan, everything else. Wow. And they're just like, Who the hell do you think you are? Who are you to <laughs> tell us about this and that? And I'm like, I'm sorry, it's just in my previous job and then what previous job? They're like, Oh, I used to work for IBM and this is what I did. I made presentations for worldwide. Blah, blah, blah. And so next thing I know, the president, like, Whoa, what are you doing down there writing scripts? Like you should be involved in other areas. Yeah. And so he encouraged me to start doing things. So that's where eventually you know, we did some international stuff. And through my connections in Tokyo, I actually ended up producing the filming of the 100th anniversary concert. Uh, or sorry, 100th anniversary Gibson Guitar Concert at Wembley Arena in London. Wow. With the Prince's Trust Fund and all that stuff. And it was just, again, I'm just falling over myself doing these things. It's, <laughs> I mean, I the thing is, I knew the Gibson guys in, in Japan. I was working with them on all kinds of stuff. I started doing promotions with them on our TV station. That's why I've got a bunch of uh, Gibson guitars and Epiphone's around here. Yeah. And they're all gifts. Uh-huh. And so, but it's because of my connections with them. There was a rumor that for this Gibson guitar 100th anniversary, there was going to be a Led Zeppelin reunion. Wow. Right. With, you know, Bottom Sun on drums and all that. So there's a big rumor. So I found out this rumor. I went right away to my bosses and told them about it and everything else. And so apparently it was really weird that Led Zeppelin dropped out. So nobody else seemed to be give a shit about the concert. It's still Gibson Goddard, 100th anniversary. Yeah. I mean, we've got Slash. We've got David Gilmore. We've got, you know, all these, you know, Zach, Zach Wilde. Wow. Yeah. All these big guys are coming out to perform. And nobody seemed interested, but our 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 team was. So I ended up putting the whole team together. We were hired uh, Fleetwood Mobile Music, wow. you know, in London, and we shot and produced this whole concert. And it was incredible. It was oh god, I still can't believe how I did it. Yeah. You know, but luckily yeah. I had really good Japanese partners and teams and, and space out uh Toshi uh, Ochi. Or that, and bon, his nickname is Bong. <laughs> <laughs> but they were the key guys, and so I did the business side; they handled the production side. And next thing you know, we're in London doing this stuff. And because of that, then I started reaching out more and more. And at one point, we're in Hong Kong at uh, it was Meep Asia, which is the big thing about TV companies selling shows. Yeah. And I remember, hoping oh, I'm in trouble, but it was David Allender, the president of PolyGram. I went and had meetings with him, and they wanted to sell us the British Music Awards, the Brit Awards. So, he, you know, we were having a meeting or whatever, and they wanted, yeah. I think it was something like a 100,000 pounds. And I just went to him, I said, actually, no, I'm sorry, uh, I, I want you to let us to get the show for free. Because, no, no offense, but the Brit Awards, nobody knows what the Brit Awards are. Yeah, yeah. Nobody's even heard of it. Yeah. You know, frankly, me, I don't really know it. We all know American Music Awards and all this yes. stuff. Uh, and the Grammys went up, but we don't. And so I said, "You know, if you give it to us for free for the first year, and then we'll promote it. We'll do a big show, and then the next year, of course, we can talk about it." Negotiate. Yeah. And Leo, literally, he told me, "Fuck you, get the fuck out of my office." <laughs> <Fuck> off. <laughs> and I'm like, "All right." <laughs> and I mean, I, what did I care? It was yeah. you know, um, our station didn't least. have the money. Yeah. We couldn't afford to invest in that. Mm. And to be honest, nobody knew what it was. So. I saw, okay, I went off, did our other business, selling our show to other stations. Yeah. Oh. And it was about a month or so later, I got a fax, which I still have somewhere from, from Polygram in the UK saying, Mr. Ellender, would like to discuss your terms for the Brit Awards. <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow.
1: So I ended up getting the British Music Awards. I think it was the 96 Brit Awards for free oh. for Japan. And then me and my team, guys, we went over and we did all the backstage interviews. So we got all their feeds and the broadcast, But then we were backstage and got to do all the interviews with, like, uh, I met Sir Elton John. Oh, wow. And that, which yeah. was kind of funny because, uh, I mean, I love the guy. Kind of, weird. Anyways, <laughs> the interview, he goes, I'm going, where's Elton? Where's Elton? I go to turn around. I almost knocked him over. <laughs> he's, not a, he's not a big guy. Yeah. Right. He's a big guy in stature, but not yes. physically, right? Yes. And I'm a big guy. And I kind of, oh, I almost knocked him over. Didn't start <laughs> off well. <laughs> But uh, sadly the, the interview, I mean it was a nice interview, whatever, but unfortunately I think he'd just been going through a lot of publicity problems. Mm-hmm. So we would ask him a question, he'd look to the manager, the manager would tell him what to answer and he'd answer. Oh, and it's like real. I'm like, oh, okay, it's I'm one right. of these days, all right. Yes. But it was fun. I you know, it was backstage, so I got to drink and eat, have a hamburger with, like, Tom Jones and Cindy oh, wow. Lauper, and you know, I got got to wave at Sting, he wouldn't come in, and Madonna's over there, and at the end of the hall, was the press conference with, with Prince, you know, saying he's no longer known as Prince, oh, and yeah, we're the, all going, the what, that? <laughs> <talking about? laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> he's no longer, like, whatever, but it was the a something. Really, yeah, it was a wild, <laughs> wild experience. Wow. For that. Um... Oh, but I was going to say, another, you know, throwing out names again, one of the coolest experiences was doing the Gibson Guitar uh, Concert because what I thought about the Hard Rock Cafe is Hard Rock always has uh, uh, hospitality for the artists at all these events we did in London, always. Oh. Hard Rock has a big tent or something set up. So I, I'm in the Hard Rock Cafe tent. I was just, oh, right, with Brett Michaels. That was it. Brett oh, Michaels. Yes, Bret Michaels. Um, just finished with him. And I'm sitting down and ordering a, a hamburger and a beer. And Brian May comes and sits next to me. And he's like, hey, I hear you're from Tokyo, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah. And I sat and had a burger with Brian May. And I just like, wow. And he was just such a cool guy. Yes. He's an amazing down-to-earth guy. Um, my friend who uh, worked for Hollywood Records would tell me a story later when I was telling him about this. He goes, Yeah, there's one time Brian May came, he came to my house to help me wash my car. <laughs> I like What? He says, Yeah, he was just in town. He wanted to come over. He said, I'm washing my car. He said, Oh, no, come over. And he said, They were just washing his car and hanging out and talking. And that's just the way, wow. I, you know, when I get into these stories, so many people tell me the same thing about him. Yeah. He's just such a nice guy.
0: They just say he's a gentle, just a gentle, nice guy. Here. Yeah. Unbelievable. Wow. Hmm. So you've, you've gone through the rock royalty. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> oh,
1: so sorry. So, yeah. What happened is, um, with this story, is yeah, so we did the Brit Awards. We ended up doing it, it showed in Japan. It had the highest ratings they'd ever had in the history of the station. Wow. But I had created some waves in some other areas. Mm. And basically the Japanese producers above me um, were a little, you know, a little, a little <coughs> <coughs> connected. Didn't like that. That I'd kind of gone above them because of my relationship with the president or whatever. So basically it came to me at one point saying, Grant, you served a beautiful seven course meal. This was translated in Chinese or Japanese <laughs> seven course meal. But you know, what? it was tasty. It was beautiful, but we want you to peel potatoes. <laughs> so basically I don't on things. And so they basically wanted me to go back to laying cables, literally laying cables and not being involved in stuff. And I'm just like, okay, fine. I mean, I was still on the other TV show for MTV Asia and we're doing that. And I just said, okay, that's fine. That's cool. And so I talked to my all my team members and they all were tired of it there too and what was going on. So I went through and I found all my guys' new jobs. Wow. So my main director Toshi, he went off to work for Channel V in Hong Kong. Uh, Ken, Ken Shimura, he went off to Sony. Bong went off to another production company. And as soon as I landed them all jobs, I just said, thank you guys, I quit. Right. And I walked out. Right. And that was it. Because the thing is for me, is I always protect my people, yes. right? It's not about me, it's about the team because I could never have done it without them. Yes. And that's the thing. And we all kind of decided as a team, you know what, we've gone as far as any of us can here. Let's do something new. Let's find a new challenge. And so we all agreed as a team, let's do it. But I wouldn't leave until everyone had a new job. Wow. That's, and then we all went our ways. Yeah.
0: That shows your loyalty and for, for your team and... Yeah, and it's always... Yeah.
1: Well, and it's always been a personal... De- no 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 personal mantra for me is to protect my artists yes because most artists are not treated well
0: yes of course and
1: they get screwed over all the time and they get paid like shit, and they get treated like shit. and that's why too when it comes to the pearl my artists they're most important to me yes in a lot of ways you know, my partners might like it but a lot of ways my artists are more important than the business because without the artists we have no business exactly so if they don't feel treated well and respected then how, how can, you know, we do the business we're doing?
0: Oh, you can tell. Definitely. Uh, Just watching it the other night, just the, yep. They're all professional. They're ready to go. So, uh, my next question is, so you you quit this amazing job. Uh, you're on cloud nine. So where does this take you into China and why China?
1: Um, well, eventually, yeah so eventually i don't know i was we'd been in japan 15 years right uh, honestly i'd been burned out i kind of had enough i'd actually gotten out of production i was just had my my martini bar right and whatnot and that was just kind of the ends of the ends and <laughs> we it was a great time but i don't know i just i could feel like yeah enough is enough um so luckily my wife who When we left IBM, I went down the creative MTV way. Luckily, she went the corporate path. Right. And did Itachi and then has been with uh, SAP, German software company, for 20 odd years. Yes. So she was offered a huge position here to move their labs division from Japan to Shanghai. Oh, cool. So she was actually offered here or uh, something in Europe. And I just said, no, China, China, China. Yeah. I'd always wanted to come to China, again, for the history and everything else. Yes. And also, I just saw it as a whole new opportunity. Because mm-hmm. uh, the one thing, too, with, with my wife and I is, I also realized it's nice for us to be in a, th- a third country. So I'm an English speaker. She's Thai, who speaks fluent English, and Japanese, and Chinese. She's freaking brilliant. Wow. Um, but I figured if we end up in Europe, or that, I'll be comfortable. She'll be on edge, maybe, or this or that. So that's the other reason why we wanted to come to China is because then we're stuck together fighting yeah Yeah, we don't know what's going on so together we have to be a team and learn chinese which she did better i haven't so well (laughs) but you know that was the whole thing too is we wanted to go to china because it was your you know it was a challenge for us we're still young and it was a whole new opportunity yes and so that's what brought us here
0: so when did you come to china
1: i arrived valentine's day 2006 so i just had my 15 year anniversary and so when we got here i had nothing to do i didn't know what i wanted to do i was burned out from doing running a film company I kind of that just totally yeah i was fried um but i'd always wanted to learn still photography yes um because the one thing i've learned too over the years at that time is you know a photo is really eternal You know, you get a photo and that can, they say the photo's worth a thousand words, right? But it's also, it's people, when you look at a photo, you look at it. When you watch a video, you just kind of watch a video and it's gone. Yes. And with the video experience, I I realized that, you know, people would give me these shitty videos and I (laughs) edit them and effects and you make it look great. Yes. But to find the time and energy to find that perfect photo, that's something special. And I could do it on my own.
0: Yes, true.
1: You know, yeah. I didn't need a sound guy and lighting guy and all this other stuff. You know, and that's why also I'm not a studio photographer. I don't want. It. I don't. It's the same way I hated doing studio work with MTV. I want to shoot live stuff. I yes. want to be out in the crowds, out on the streets. Doing crazy things.
0: You were still in the crowd there the
1: other night. <laughs> yeah, right. Fixing <laughs> up the stage, you know.
0: <laughs> and people were jumping up and... For,
1: yeah. yeah, I'm still a hands-on kind of guy. <laughs> Can't help it. So anyways, I what happened is I took um, photography lessons with eight expat wives every Friday afternoon. Right. <laughs> well, they were all bringing photos of kids and dogs and, <laughs> and whatnot. I, we had just did a trip to uh, Japan during Christmas... And uh, I brought back these photos using kind of a, one of my MTV techniques of playing with lights, like moving lights, but stills images. And I kind of created a style. And, anyways, it was photos of these African tribal guys with these like rattan kind of skirts and outfits dancing with Japanese Santa girls and little Santa tiny bikinis. Because only in Japan would you mix the two together. <laughs> and so I brought these out, these photos. And all the, you know, the housewives like, you're so cool. We want to hang out with you. <laughs> and my teacher was going, how, she actually said, how did you do that? How did you get this lighting effect with everything else? And I explained it to her and I'm like, wow, that's really cool. Yes. And luckily what happened is some of my DJs, especially my best friend, DJ Tavo, has actually, had actually moved from Japan to Beijing, found out I was here. So he moved to Shanghai. And then I started touring with him in all the clubs and just, you know, with him playing and me just playing with the camera, I started creating new ways of shooting. And then next thing I know, the clubs are hiring me smart Shanghai here in Shanghai, started hiring me and other websites. And then I just became, you know, I'd be shooting six to nine clubs a night often. I was just hit, you know, my friends always joking me because before it was way before we chatting and all that out all that existed so I would actually go through find all the addresses print them out print them out on a list so I'd have my list of addresses where we go next check and then show the taxi driver okay now we're going this one check so I was doing all the events stuff and one night it was at uh, Mao Club which later became Hollywood which is closed now um but uh, a guy from Ferrari uh, Carl G. Carl, yeah. The guy was too handsome for one man. Right. I, I hated working for him, but he was a great guy. French, beautiful voice, handsome blue eyes. Right. I'm like, I love being next to him because the girls just flock, right? <laughs> but anyways, he was looking for a foreign photographer who could understand what they wanted because they just weren't having the luck with the local photographers to get that kind of vibe and what they you know what they what they needed. So he approached me and said, hey, are you the guy from Smart Shanghai, G Martini? I said, yeah, that's me. So he gave me his card. And then four months later, I got a phone call and saying, hey, F1 is coming to town. We have some VIP events with the drivers and Jet Li. Jet Li and all these other celebrities. We want you. Can you put a team together? So I got my friend, Jackson, and we went and shot it. Of course, actually, when I I dropped the phone... Getting that phone call, I just ran around the apartment screaming, <laughs> doing the happy dance. And, like I couldn't believe it. Yes. Uh, but we, no, we shot the event; it went well. And then he asked me to shoot their driving school, uh, Piloto driving school. And so I went out there, and it was literally me, the foreigner, against a team of five Chinese uh, shooting. So I think they had three photographers, a producer kind, and an editor. Or something. So it was me against five and I was trying to work as a team. I thought it was a team. Mm-hmm. Hey, let's do this and you, I'll do this. And they were just like, get wow. out of my way. You do your thing, I'll do my thing. And I didn't realize it was actually a competition. They had been uh, doing it. But then the foreigner wanted me to come in and do my style. And say, yeah. I guess it worked well because then the Chinese bosses said, yeah, we want this guy right i probably in in hindsight my budgets probably was the same they were those poor guys are getting (laughs) told. i feel bad for that but but it was just one of these things too i've learned over the years where again my business background helped my creativity yes because i was looking at it from the client perspective ferrari perspective these all these other newbies or people who were coming in they're just obsessed with oh i'm gonna shoot the greatest picture ever of a Ferrari car and I'm gonna be amazing and this and that and it's like dude, it's Ferrari They have professionals in Italy shooting the car. Yeah, they don't care about the perfect shot of the car They have that they want to see local customers with the car Yes, and that's that was my whole focus and and not only that but anytime there You'd have the local customers with the Italian instructors and they're talking about how to drive and this and that I would always get it so that I'd have a Ferrari logo in the background, right? You know, all you have to do is you have to you have to think before you shoot And you angle this or angle that and you never ask them to move you move And that was the whole thing is I just found this way of always getting like a little subtle Ferrari there, a happy customer with a Italian driver and this and that and then also with them in their cars and shooting and the whole key was always trying to Get them having fun with the car because again I mean, just going out and shooting the car by itself, I mean, again, come on, guys. Common sense, isn't it? Well, you would think. Yeah. But, yeah. but again, everybody has their different perspective. Yes. And so and you'd have a lot, of, you know, a lot of the photographers were studio guys. So they had you know, the perfect this, the perfect that. I'm like, guys, you don't have time. There is no time. You can't have a customer stand there and you trying to move the light and whatever. Yeah. No, they, they all have a schedule. You don't have time to screw around. You got to be on the fly. And that's my specialty. I love action. Yes. You know, and later in later years too, I actually, I had a lot of studio guys come up to me and go, I don't know how you can do this. Because, you know, they have to be so anal in how to prepare everything and spend eight hours preparing for one shot. Yeah. And me, I have eight seconds, if that, to figure out where this is going, how this is going, how to line things up and shoot. But that's all I want. Yes, you know, I if I have to spend those eight hours preparing for one shot, I'm, it's gonna be my brains on the back of the wall. Going, no, <laughs> nope, I'm out of here. I can't do that. And I respect that they can do that. I can't. Yes. I just want to keep going and going and going. That's again. right. <laughs> but it also would cause me to shoot like honestly, I would shoot between nine to some. I think it most was twenty-five thousand photos in one day when we were shooting racing, or that because you're just shooting nonstop. stop yeah, yeah, And the, the other thing too is because with a Ferrari tra- Challenge racing, you'd have Twenty to sometimes it was over forty racers, uh, and the thing is, you want to shoot it for the media about the overall event, but you also have to respect you've got forty some drivers yeah. who all want a picture,
0: right?
1: You know, so it's just me. <laughs> so that's the thing. I'm shooting nonstop, yeah, and it's, yeah. of course, I want to get the nice, cool shot, the nice, you know, car on two wheels coming around the corner or the fire of the brakes because yeah. they have ceramic brakes, so when they break, they go on fire. Uh, so I'm showing you later these yeah, glowing. Right shots are just gorgeous and Uh, you got to get that but you also got to get the shot of every single car even the guy who's driving the slowest (laughs) you got to get a good shot of him and you know try and and do a slow pan to make it look like he's going really fast (laughs) because you want to give respect to every single driver yes and again that's the mindset you have to have is it's not about you it's not about you when you're working with these corporate clients it's not about you it's about but them, yeah. And where are these photos going to go? And who, you know, who's product. going to be happy? And that's the thing is, you if you have every driver gets a set of photos, they're going to be happy, yeah. and they're going to send compliments. to Frank, go keep this guy. <laughs> yes. Of course, having the red beard help me too, right?
0: Oh come on, come on! Yeah, tell tell really- us everybody about the red beard. Uh, like uh, that was one <laughs> of my questions. Oh, the red beard. Tell us the red beard. Uh, yeah. it's not every day I see a person in. In Shanghai, especially with a red beard, yeah, it's got like a, a dime bag. Dime bag just have a little goatee. Uh, <coughs> yeah. You know, Pantera. But uh, is there a story behind this?
1: Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, a story that shows my maturity. <laughs> <laughs> so my son, my son uh, grew up in Canada, right. but he would spend summers visiting us all uh, in Tokyo. Nice. And one summer he came over. Um, and he showed up, I uh, picked him up at the airport, and he's got green hair. I Total you surprise. You, yeah, you, know, you, know. you <laughs> know, he's like 11 years old. What else do you expect? <laughs> um, so, yeah, he came to tell you a green hair. I didn't say anything. You know, I just laughed along. I was like, you know, my wife's going, what? I'm like, eh, Just, <laughs> Let whatever. Go. Let it <laughs> Yeah, whatever. So, it was um, a few, actually, it was like, yeah, the following spring, I was actually gonna be shooting a TV commercial in uh, Vancouver, and it was about the time of his birthday. And so what I decided is that after the commercial, I'll fly to Calgary, and I went to his school, and uh, had him called down to the principal's office. And so my son, his name's on the intercom, so he comes down to the principal's office, going, oh shit, what did I get caught for this time? You know, really worried, and then he sees me, And he's like, oh, my God, dad flew from Tokyo. What did I do? And he's like, literally go, what did I do? What did I do? And I'm like, no, kid, don't worry. Calm down, man. You know, your birthday's coming up. I wanted to surprise you. You know, I'm here for the week. Let's go and hang out. But I said before, like, I want to go and see your teacher's room. See your classes, meet your teacher and everything else. So we're walking down the hall and my son's looking up at me, looking up at me. And I'm like, hey, what's up, kid? And he's like, dad. You got a green beard. He said, Hey, you came to Tokyo with green hair. Read right back at you, kid. And that was the whole reason they did it, it was just to burn him. And you kept it. Oh, yeah. And, and because, again, you know, I'm working then, you know, in the music industry and everything else. So it worked. So it went green and blue and purple and every kind of color I could do. And, and in fact, when we had our film company, uh, Magic Bus, we just started working for um, Adidas. And uh, we did a big, huge launch, of uh, the official launch of Adidas Japan. It was a massive, massive project. And so I did my beard blue, but I also shaved my head and had the Adidas logo in <laughs> blue stripes on my head so that when I greeted everybody, hey, <laughs> and I would bend over, it would be Adidas logo. Surprise. And the president and CEO became later became my really good friend, she just came up and go, you went beyond the call of duty <laughs> that's it you guys get the contract yeah and so then we ended up with a million dollar contract doing all the corporate videos for adidas japan right and I just yeah it was amazing but the, the follow-up to that story was it was also just before i went to thailand to get married right and so i showed up in thailand with the blue blue uh, you know my head and everything else. And my future mother-in-law, my mother-in-law is going, he's going to shave that, right? He's not going to go through the wedding with that, right? My mother-in-law is awesome. Her and I tease each other all the time. We not, might not be able to talk, but we make fun of each other, like always playing <laughs> jokes on each other. Yeah. And anyways, I just to there and said, no, the wedding's sponsored by Adidas. I have to keep this. <laughs> and so i kept the i kept the the logo on my head until the morning of the wedding and then i shaved it off in the morning
0: (laughs) she would have been sweating bullets (laughs) (laughs) grant let's get close to wrapping it up here i think we can talk for another two or three hours (laughs) Um, uh, we should do it at some time but uh tell me uh what does the future hold for grant
1: yeah, I mean, the future is... Oh, it goes back to where we wandered off. Sorry, I keep wandering everywhere. That's right. that's right. Too much. Um, no, the future is with the Pearl, now with our new licensing. Yes. Um, I'm really hoping that wanting to the band on tours, yes. maybe team up with other venues where we can do shows there on an the ongoing basis. But also, I really want to get back to the whole music festival idea. Right. You know, creating music festivals. And not just... I don't want... Yeah, I don't want to criticize other festivals because there have been a lot of festivals that have happened in China, and a lot of them started off but kind of died off. And I know there's a lot of it to do with regulations, this, that, or acts, whatnot. But also, I find like the festivals I've been to here, boring. They're just... I mean, it's a stage, music. Um, if you want a beer, you often have to go out and walk down the street to a 7-Eleven and carry it back in through security. Yes. Yada, yada, yada. But no, I want to create more of a immersive music arts festival yes yes. you know so a place where you've got you've got the music you will have like a marketplace too you will have like arts and crafts people selling thing making thing uh all kinds of mom-and-pop food shops like you know little people who don't can't afford the restaurant but they'll have some unique food different flavors from all over the world as well as working with the burlesque girls to do workshops, working with the zero gravity pole dancing school to do some workshops out there, have my drag queens doing things. All kind of a fully immersive art kind of festival is my ultimate dream and goal. And that's what I'm working on right now. In fact, right after here, I've got some meetings with some fire performers and whatnot to talk to them about this whole concept. Can we bring it together? And now with, with the COVID, with the borders being closed, we, we'll start off small. I want to do one small, maybe two or three smaller festivals this, within this year if I can. Mm-hmm. Um, but eventually build up the, the reputation, the knowledge, the expertise to then expand where the ultimate goal is three or four years from now, doing a Fuji Rock style festival here in Shanghai with some big headliners and bring my mtd contacts to fruition and say come on let's do this wow let's do this i really really yeah that's my ultimate goal in three to four years i really hope we can get to that
0: and i hope i hope just for the the people here in in shanghai and in china you can do that so they just get shut off by all this really good music and Mm. you know and, and it, not just music entertainment in general yeah and uh i really hope that you you can do that and uh, you can get some bands in and i think it'd be amazing for the country and so
1: and, yeah thanks I, I mean i really feel there's a market for it yeah abs- to,
0: absolutely
1: the younger generation are so into it and i mean even the older generation yes again i i you know i'm an old guy i like the classic rock yeah. and what i love is the new the old people you're doing and the young people do and the, the funny thing is, again, thank God for Marvel Universe and yeah. teaching the new people an Iron Man movie, what ACDC is, oh, yeah. and, you know, all these things, they're like, what's this new band?
0: Yes. <laughs> you know, Absolutely. and I've had
1: to actually add that into my advertising, oh. you know, when I'm promoting the ACDC shows, I'm like, as, as, you know, played in Iron oh, Man, man right, this and right, that, you right. Know. Right. All right, and Grant, tell us uh, finally, uh,
0: where can we find the Pearl? Like your social medias, and uh, you know, uh, any sort of promotion you wanna talk about?
1: Uh well, no, the Pearl is in Hong Kong. Everyone thinks it's far away, but it's really not. It's a ten-minute walk, literally, to the Bund. Yeah, you walk over the bridge, walk past Bellagio Hotel. Ten minutes, you're at 471 Zappu or you can take the Sichuan Lu. That's it. It's really easy to get to. Even, I live in French Concession. It's a 10-minute taxi ride because you take the Whitetun Tunnel. That's it's right. It's easy to get to. Yeah. Um, as far as promotion, no. We have a lot of stuff going on. But we're on social media. We're on WeChat, Facebook, Instagram, Weibo.
0: Yeah. And you can get tickets. Where, where can you get your tickets? Uh,
1: tickets are, oh, man, they're everywhere. We got yeah. them on Smart Shanghai 247. Damai, Maoyin, we're on 11 different ticketing sites. Plus, you can also just contact the Pearl directly or find me, Redbeard, (laughs) Honghutsu. I'm happy to help.
0: All right, excellent. All right, Grant, like I said, uh, we could have talked for another two or three (laughs) hours. I'm going to be, I'm going to, I've made it a goal this year that I'm going to come to more shows this year. Amazing life. Continue what you're doing. You're you're making lots of people happy, and uh, I wish you all the best for the future. And I hope, uh, fingers crossed, that you get this, uh, you know, the big, the big festivals uh, for China.
1: Cheers! Thank you very much, Craig.
0: Not a worry. Thanks, man.